Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. in Genesis chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, um, if you raise your hand, we'll get you one, then you can follow along with us. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So here we are here in Genesis chapter 28, and Jacob is giving this blessing, excuse me, Isaac is giving this blessing to Jacob. And, And, you know, last chapter, chapter 27 it was basically the only chapter that really deals strictly with Isaac, and and uh, it's it's uh, uh, actually chapter twenty six, I should say, deals with Isaac. But what's really fascinating to me, you know, if you look at Isaac, and we we talked about this before, but the picture of Isaac as a young as a younger man, he's really a picture of Jesus. Remember when Abraham. Uh, was commanded to offer up his only begotten son, Isaac, on the altar. And, and Abraham's a picture of the father, and, and he's sacrificing his son. And, and so Abraham obediently takes Isaac. And what we discovered as we were going through scriptures, Isaac wasn't a young, like, 12-year-old boy. He was probably in his 30s at this point. And so being an adult, he was willing to, to, to obey his father, to be uh, placed on the altar there. And what a beautiful picture he is of Jesus who died on the cross for us, who gave himself as a, as a living sacrifice for us. And, uh, and so Isaac started out well. He, as a young man, he's a picture of Jesus in obedience to his father. But what we talked about last week, and there's one area in his life where Isaac wasn't submitted to the Lord. He started out well, but there was this one area that he wasn't submitted to the Lord. And what was it? It was that he favored Esau over Jacob. And he didn't want Jacob, the younger of the twins, to receive the the right of the firstborn, the blessing of the firstborn, which he thought should have gone to Esau, even though the Lord had prophesied that that's what would take place. And so what did Isaac do? He tried to circumvent God's will. That's never a good thing. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. You know, um, there's, a, a, there's an episode that occurs in the, in the book of Acts with the apostles. Peter and John, you know, they've, gotten, they've been arrested for sharing the good news of Jesus' resurrection. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. And, and so the Sanhedrin, they're all, you know, they see the boldness of Peter and they're just, man, what do we do? So they take him out of the, out of the room and, and Gamaliel, who's one of the most respected rabbis of the day, he gets before the rest of the Sanhedrin and he says, hey, you know, it, it might just be a fad. It might be just a passing thing. But he says this in chapter, in Acts 5, verse 38, he says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it'll come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. That's exactly what happened to Isaac. Isaac tried to overthrow God's plan of blessing Jacob, instead trying to bless Esau, and he couldn't 
overthrow God's plan. In fact, he found himself fighting against God. And you know when you fight against God, who wins? God does. Um, And so uh, when Isaac finally realized that he had been deceived and that he had, although he was trying to bless Esau, he ended up blessing Jacob as God had prophesied he would. It says he trembled violently. He shook. Why? Because he realized, man, I've been trying to go against God and God wasn't going to let that happen. And it's interesting because in Hebrews 11.20, it tells us by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And I'd submit to you, it wasn't in the beginning by faith, but now he realizes what he's done. And now by faith, he's, as we read in this chapter, he's pouring out this blessing. He's blessing uh, um, Jacob with, with the blessings of Abraham. You know, it's never too late to turn back to the Lord as evidence with Isaac. It's never too late to resubmit to the Lord's will for your life and just to, just to follow him. It's never too late, as, as is evidenced with Isaac. And so now Isaac is once more walking by faith. He started out well, you know, and I've known believers that have just started out well. They've done really great. And then something happens and it's like, where are they? They've, they've fallen away. They've, they've, they've left the Lord. They've walked away, whatever it's gone on. And, and, and it's sad. They start out well, but they don't finish. But, but here Isaac started out well. He didn't do too good. But now he's back. He's back because God allows us to change. God God changes us. He wants us to change. And so now he's once more walking by faith and and he's giving this blessing to Jacob as was intended all along for Jacob. Verse 5, it says, So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now, if we were to skip ahead in the story, we know ultimately Ultimately, it was the Lord's will for Jacob to go to Haran. Why? Because God is going to use it to do a work in Jacob's heart. He's going to use the, the circumstances, and we'll see that as we go through it, as he's preparing, as he's, as he's transforming Jacob. But even though that was ultimately God's plan, it was Rebecca's not thinking this is God's plan. You know, I, I just want God's will for, for Jacob. Rebecca had manipulated Isaac <clears throat> into sending Jacob away for his own safety. Um, she had overheard Isaac planning to bless Esau. And so at that point, she, and the Bible tells us, while Esau was favored by Jacob, she, or excuse me, by Isaac, she favored Jacob. And so she wanted Jacob to receive the blessing. So she comes up with this scheme where Jacob could deceive Isaac into giving him the blessing of the firstborn instead of Esau. And guess what? The plan worked. Um, but then later she found out that Esau is consoling himself with killing his brother. She says, as soon as, as, soon as dad's dead, <laughs> I'm going to kill my brother, man. You know, he, so, and, and, and the thoughts of his heart, it's revealed. You know? And so uh, Rebecca found out about it. And uh, instead of just going to Isaac and saying, hey, Isaac, we got an issue. We, <laughs> this is what's happening. We got to do something about it. She doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. Instead of telling Isaac the real reason she wanted Jacob to go to Haran, instead, in chapter 27, verse 46, she says this, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Those were the daughters that Esau married, by the way. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Is that being open and honest? No, it's not. She could have just been open and truthful. But listen, She's a manipulator. 
And manipulation is a learned behavior. And hey, if you can manipulate something and it works, hey man, that's like it becomes kind of like the, the mode of operating, you know, the mode of operation. Why stop a good thing if it works? And so we see this in Rebecca. I don't know, and I, I'm not recommending this movie at all, but I don't know if you, any of you have seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Probably quite a few have, I'm assuming. Remember the one scene where the daughter's getting advice from her mother, and, and she says, you know, the husband is the head, but the wife's the neck. <laughs> I can turn the head anywhere, you know. And isn't that true? You know, it's, it's true in, in a lot of cases. Not just with women, by the way. Both husbands and wives can manipulate each other emotionally, right? We call that pushing the right buttons. You want to get a right response? You push the right buttons. You know, we can manipulate emotionally as well. So Rebecca's a manipulator. But you know what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2? And he's talking about ministry, but I think it applies here. He says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We're not walking in craftiness. What is that word craftiness? It comes from a word meaning to be shrewd, to be cunning, to be unscrupulous. The word signifies the employment of any or all means necessary to realize an end. And this is exactly what manipulation is. Now, she manipulated Isaac into sending Jacob away, and her plan worked. And she thought she had fixed the situation, and Jacob would only be gone temporarily. But as we'll find out, that temporary, you know, just for a few days or for a little while, it ended up being 14 years and she never saw Jacob again alive in her life. It, it was, it's, a sad, it's a sad ending there. Her manipulation initially worked. In fact, it worked more than once, but there was a price to pay in it. Verse 6. And so here Jacob's gone, going to Padanaram. Verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his mother and his, his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives he had. Esau here, he once again proving that he's carnal and that he's not spiritual. Remember, he's the one who despised the birthright because he wanted to satisfy the immediate gratification of his flesh. He could care less about spiritual things because the birthright wasn't just a blessing. It wasn't just a double portion of the blessing. The person who had the birthright, the firstborn, they inherited the, the spiritual leadership of the family, the legal leadership of the family. There, it was so much more than just the blessing. And, and Esau could care less about that. He's a profane man. That's what we find out about him. What is a profane man? There's no holiness. There's no sanctification in his life. He just lives to satisfy the cravings of his flesh. That's profanity. That's what pro, being profane is. And so he marries these two Canaanite women. And, and he realizes now many years later, that, man, it's, <laughs> my parents aren't very happy with this. It's, it's been a grief to them. And he sees how, how Isaac sends Jacob away and, uh, to marry a wife that's descended from Abraham instead of a Canaanite woman of the land, which he had done. So he's got a plan to fix it. 
He goes, well, okay, if that's what makes mom and dad happy, then I'm going to marry another woman that's descended from Abraham. But again, he's not discerning. And he ends up marrying, he ends up marrying uh, through Ishmael, who was Abraham's son of the bondwoman, the Bible says in the New Testament, the son of the flesh. Esau's example is repeated in the life of another man in the Bible named Micah in the book of Judges. You may not have, may not have known about this, but if you, if you read the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 17, it talks about the life of this man named Micah. And in that chapter, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And Micah was an idolater. He lived in the land of Ephraim, which was in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he meets this traveling Levite. Now, the Levitical tribe, the Levites, they were the priestly tribe of Israel. And so he meets this, this descendant, this, this, this Levite, and he hires him to be a priest in his home. Sounds pretty good, right? I'm, I'm bringing in a priest into my home. But the problem is, he's still retaining all his idols. He has all his idols, but now he's just adding a priest to his idols, And in Judges chapter 17, verse 3, it says, Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since I have a Levite as a priest. It's like, wow, I've got got like all these different things, and I'm, I'm covered. Micah's problem was that he was seeking to establish his own righteousness while not being submitted to the righteousness of God. That's the same thing Esau is doing here. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its way, uh, but its end is the way of death. You know, think about this. Now, Esau had despised his birthright. He had traded it away. He didn't get the blessing of the birthright. But you know what? There's no shame in not being the firstborn. There's, there's no shame in not being the firstborn. Esau could have repented of his sin. He could have, from that point on, walked in obedience and faith in his life, even though he didn't have the rights of the firstborn. Would have been no shame in that. He could have repented and just, okay. But instead of repenting, he devises his own righteousness. And he goes and he goes, man, I'm going to marry a descendant of Abraham, just like Jacob's on his way to do. But the problem is, again, no spiritual discernment. He marries a daughter descended from Ishmael, the son of the bondwoman, who was cast out, basically. He's trying to satisfy God's righteous requirements through uh, the flesh and not by faith. And the Bible tells us anything that's not of faith, man, it doesn't please the Lord. So far, looking at Isaac's life, we see a change in Isaac's life, right? We see it. We see a transformation in his life. At this point, and I don't know that it really changes. I, we don't really see a change in Rebecca's life. She's still shrewdly manipulating Isaac to selfishly seek her own way. I mean, that's that's the bottom line of what she's doing. You know, the Bible says in First Corinthians. 13 that love does not seek its own and you know when you think about it that's kind of what manipulation is right you're trying to get your way and so you're going to do whatever you can to get your way accomplished and we see that in rebecca so we don't really see a change in rebecca's life we look at esau's life trying to establish his own righteousness apart from the lord and we don't see any change in his life as well and now the story focuses on jacob Almost exclusively, the rest of the, of the story turns to Jacob. In fact, the next five chapters, including this one, chronicles Jacob's life and his transformation. Finally, in chapter 32, I'll give you a, a sneak preview, but finally, at the end of that chapter, he's going to finally fully submit to the Lord in a wrestling match, basically. 
But it's going to be a long road to get there. So now we turn in this chapter our attention to Jacob. Jacob, his name means heel catcher or supplanter. Uh, We would say he's a con artist, basically. That's kind of what his name means. And so Jacob, remember, he's the one that shrewdly traded a bowl of of pottage or stew of some sort for Esau's birthright. Remember, Esau was was coming in from the field, a hunter, but he obviously hadn't caught anything or or he couldn't wait to cook it. He was just just starving, right, famished. And, And there's Jacob, you know, trying out another one of those you know, Julia Child's dishes that he, she saw, he saw on TV or whatever. You know, he's, he's making this pot, and man, it smells so good. And Jacob's, or Esau's one of these guys that I want it now. I don't care what, I just want it now. And so he's like, give me that food. And, and Jacob, being the wise, you know, very shrewd guy, he says, oh, vey, I tell you what, uh, I'll make a trade with you. You give me the birthright, I'll give you the pottage. And Esau's like, I could care less about that birthright. Give me the food, you know. And so he does. And uh, so that's Jacob. He's kind of a kind of a shrewd man, kind of a cunning person, kind of a con artist. And uh, you know, when when Rebecca was planning the deception of Isaac, you know, Jacob was a willing partner. He didn't go, "Hey, God, hey, mom, is that really right? Should we be doing that?" You know what his his question was? What if I get caught? <laughs> that was his response. What if I get caught? So you know, Jacob's he's not a very innocent person here. And now, because of his deception and what he's done, now he's on the run from Esau. And although he's sent out with Isaac's blessing, he basically leaves alone and with nothing. Now, he might have some food. Maybe they brought, you know, he had some meal provisions or whatever. But he's no longer under the, under the influence of Rebekah, the manipulator. He's no longer enjoying the comforts of home. Remember, he was one that liked to hang out by the tents or stay home, stay back, you know. And he's no longer under the spiritual covering of Isaac. Now he's out on his own, heading out to Haran to find a wife. And it's during this time that the Lord's going to reveal himself to Jacob and start doing that work of transformation in his heart. Verse 10, it says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, I I was kind of curious about this. I did a little bit of research. You know, and the place where he's sleeping, it will later be called Bethel. We'll find that out. But but he went from Beersheba to Bethel. And it's literally about 40 miles so I'm curious. I'm like, well, how long did that take? Well, the average, because I Google everything, right? If you need any answers, Google it. So I Googled, what's the average walking speed of a human being? And it turns out the average walking speed is 3.1 miles per hour. So if you take that, 40 miles divided by 3.1 miles per hour, that's about 13 hours of straight walking. That's not counting any breaks, potty breaks, or stopping at a quick trip. Or I mean, that's just walking, you know, straight through. And so you can imagine 13 hours of walking. That guy's beat. He's bush. I mean, he's just out there. You know, it's not like they're smooth. You know, he's he's walking the terrain, basically, whatever it is. And he's so tired at the end of this night or the end of this day that a rock makes a good pillow. <laughs> it's like, man, this, that looks great. <laughs> you know, he's out. <laughs> Verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants. 
Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in all your seed, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. What's the significance of this? Well, what's a ladder? So he sees this in his dream. He sees this ladder. And, you know, it's not like a, a step ladder. It's basically a stairway. Because if you notice that there's angels ascending and descending. I mean, you wouldn't have that on the ladder, right? So, so it's a stairway, basically. It's the original stairway to heaven, actually. Um, and so he's on this, he sees this stairway above him. And angels are ascending and descending on this stairway. Well, what's, a, what's the deal with angels? You know, we're told in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Angels are there to minister. Who, who are those who inherit salvation? You and I. Angels are sent forth from God to minister to us. They're all around us. They're, in fact, have you ever read that book by Frankie Peretti? Uh, was it This Present Darkness, I think? Was that the name of it? There was a book that's it was, it's a novel, basically, but it, it's just kind of like, wow. I wonder if it's really like that. Well, apparently there are angels that are sent forth to minister. Um, You know, in Matthew 18, Jesus says this in verse 10. He says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's where the whole idea of guardian angels comes from. They, these little ones, they have angels that are, that are keeping an eye on things, watching on and reporting back to the Father. Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Psalms 103 verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. And as you go through the Bible, you find out there's the throne of God and there's myriads of angels all around him, worshiping the Lord God. And the Lord says, I want you to do this. And they go out and they're ministering. They, whatever the Lord says, man, they go out and do. We know some famous ones, right? Gabriel's a famous one. His ministry is basically announcing things. He's always announcing in the Bible. He's giving announcements to different people and stuff. Michael, the archangel, you know, he's, he's the warrior, you know. Um, we don't know the names of, in fact, I think those are the only two name, angels that we know their names of. Um, but they're all around ministering, and according to the scriptures, there's myriads of them. There's myriads of them. What's the point here? The point of these angels ascending and descending on this ladder is what the Lord's trying to reveal to Jacob. Hey, Jacob, I'm aware. I'm aware of your life. And I'm actively involved in your life. And he's sending his angels to minister on your behalf. And he's receiving reports. Not that God doesn't know, but he's receiving reports from his angels. You know what thing that... It's always... Because I've read this story many times, but it's always kind of made me wonder, why are they ascending, going up, and descending, going down? To me, it would make more sense, just in my mind, that they'd be going down, and then they'd be going up. Have you ever thought about that? I have. These are the things that keep me awake at night. Why are, why are the angels ascending and descending as opposed to descending and ascending? And I think the message is this. Because it's not like they are just now, like, okay, Jacob, I am now going to send these angels down to minister. You're in a tough place. I'm going to send them down to minister to you. No, they've already been down ministering. They're going back up reporting to the Lord, and then they're going back down. They've already been involved. They've already been uh, involved in your life. 
They've been ministering to you before, long before you even realized it. And what about the ladder itself or the stairway? It's a very vivid picture if you think about it. Heaven is separated from the earth because of sin, right? Sin separates us from God. And it's that ladder, it's this, this, this physical connection between heaven and earth in this dream. And it's significant that the Lord is standing above the object of his mercy, which is Jacob, who's beneath it. What's very fascinating is you get to the Gospel of John. And in John 151, Jesus is saying this. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus is the ladder. Jesus reestablishes the connection between heaven and earth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father but through me. See, there's, there is no other stairway to heaven. There is no other stairway to heaven. There's no lady buying a stairway to heaven. Why? Because there's only one, and it's not for sale. You can't buy it. Salvation is a free gift through Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm a Led Zeppelin fan from way back. All right, never mind. People are like, oh, that's kind of weird what he's saying. <laughs> All right. So what's happening here? The covenant that, and this is what the Lord, I think, is communicating with, I, with Jacob. You know, the covenant with Abraham and Isaac, it's now extended to you, Jacob. I am the God of your father, Isaac. In other words, I wasn't the God of your father, but I am the God of your father, Isaac, and your grandfather, Abraham. And now, Jacob, I'm your God as well. You see, because I want a relationship with you, too. Not just with your parents, but with you. You know, that's an interesting thing in the, in the life of a child. And that's, I love praying for these kids and, you know, watching them. I mean, Manny, eight years older. I remember when he was born, when you guys brought him to church the first time. You know, it's, a, it's like the little, little, cute little bundle. And now, now he's an eight-year-old, you know, and you watch them growing up. And, you know, there's going to be a point, and hopefully it already happened in his life, and with all these kids, where they go, you know what? I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my Savior, he died for me. And that, there's, that, there's that transformation in a child's life. It happened to me as a kid once. It's like all of a sudden the realization, you're my God too. It's not just, I just don't go to church because my parents make me. You're my God. That's exactly what God is trying to communicate with Jacob here. Although, by the way, Jacob's in his 70s, but we won't go there. But anyways, um, I want a relationship with you, Jacob. Jacob, you don't need to con me like you did Esau, into giving you the birthright. Look at all this land around you. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants after you. In fact, in you, all the descendants of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because the Messiah is going to descend from you, Jacob. And here, Jacob, you know, he's on the run. Again, he's by himself. He doesn't have servants around him. He's, he doesn't have the, the comforts of home. He's on the run from Esau. He knows that Esau wants to kill him. He probably feels some shame for the, you know, just the way he deceived, uh, you know, deceived his father. So there's, maybe there's that guilt going on. And there, it's like he's, he's, he's a fugitive at this point. And it's of his own doing for the most part. And out here he feels alone. And he's in the wilderness. And it's like the Lord saying, hey, Jacob, you may feel like you're alone out here in this wilderness, but look at this ladder. I'm here with you. You're not alone. That can be a real comfort when we're going through a wilderness situation. You're not alone. God's with you. He's here with you. He knows what's going on. You know, Jesus said in John 16, verse 32, he was talking to his disciples about his upcoming crucifixion. 
He says, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father's with me. And that's so true for each one of us. You may feel, maybe you're physically alone today, you're here in a crowd, but, you know, you can be in a crowd, right, and still feel like you're totally alone, it, you, you know, but you're not alone. God's here with you. And so he's saying to Jacob, Jacob, you're not alone. I am with you. And not only am I with you, but I'm going to keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. I'm going to protect you. You're not going to need to connive. You're not going to need to scheme. You're not going to need to worry. And Jacob, I'm not going to give up on, on you until I have accomplished my will for you and in you. What a comfort that is. Sometimes I look at my own life and go, man, am I ever going to get over this area of my life that I, I always struggle in that? Man, am I ever going to get past it? I love what Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to give up on you. He has a plan and a purpose, and he's not going to let it go. He's going to keep working in your life until that a plan of his is accomplished in your life. But you know what? Jacob's still Jacob at this point. He hasn't been transformed yet. I mean, he's had this wonderful vision, this great dream. The Lord's spoken to him through this dream, but he's still Jacob at this point, and he's still called Jacob. His path to complete trust in God is going to be a long and a difficult one. In fact, about four chapters long, 14 years long. Verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I can just picture Jacob going, you know what? <laughs> this is awesome, man. This is, the, this is the portal. I think I'm going to write a book, and maybe Steven Spielberg will make a movie out of it. You know, the portal, you know, this is the gate to heaven and stuff. Um, and he goes, surely the Lord's in this place, and I didn't know it. That's an important revelation, man. We, we all, maybe you've had it, maybe you haven't had it yet, but just the realization, man, God's around here. He's actively involved, and I didn't even realize that he's been involved in my life. And yet he is. The Lord's presence, he's present in our uh, wilderness. We really are not alone. So, so far, when you look at Jacob, so far so good, right? He's like, man, God's here, and I didn't even realize it. Verse 18 then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone which he had put at his head, that comfortable pillow, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Bethel, the house of God. Okay, I mean, that's okay. All right? He wants to make this monument to the Lord. You know, nothing wrong with that, right? Um, and and he, he says, I'm going to build a house to you here, Lord. Um, but the thing is, the Lord's not just in this place, right? I mean, this building is just a building. I mean, the Lord's here because we're here, but the building means nothing, right? It's just a building. It's just, it's just a place where we meet. Um, you know, it's not like I go to a church and that's where I find... No, it's, it's, you're here in the presence of other saints. And God's with one, two or three are gathered in his name. The Lord's there. So, you know, it's not just... The Lord's just in one location. The Lord's with you wherever you go. Now, you know what? That's good news, but it can also be bad news. The good news, man, it's great if you need his presence. If you're in the wilderness, you're in a lone place, and you're struggling, man, it's great to know that the, the Lord God is there with you in your difficulty. But it's not so great a thing to realize if you're in a place where you shouldn't be. You know, if you're in sin, you're in a place, you're like, you're, you know you're not supposed to be there. Hey, guess what? The Lord's there with you. You're taking them wherever you go. 
He's still with you. So it can be, it's great news, but it can also be bad news if you're not walking with the Lord. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Again, Jacob is still Jacob at this point. The con artist. The supplanter, the heel catcher, that, that characteristic, it kicks in again. You know, it's never a good thing to start your prayers with if <laughs> to the Lord. If you do this, Lord, then I'll do that. He's making a deal with the Lord. The Lord had just made all these promises to Jacob. Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm, going to, I'm here. You're not alone. I, I, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to, you. Through you, all the descendants of the earth are going to be blessed. And, and he basically says, he repeats back the deal to the Lord. Okay, Lord, if you'll do these things as you said, then the Lord, you shall be my God. I'll let you be my God. Can you imagine the Lord sitting there in heaven? He's like, Gabriel, did you hear what I just told this guy? And now look how blessed we are. Jacob's on our side. I mean, it's like, it just just doesn't make sense. And yet that's what Jacob is doing here. Jacob's basically telling the Lord, okay, Lord, You meet your obligations, and I'll make you my Lord. But wait, let's sweeten the deal a little bit more. Of all that you give me, I'll surely give a tenth to you. Now, maybe I'm adding a little, you know, flavor into that. But it's like, you know, I could just, again, I can imagine God going, man, that's awesome. You're so generous, Jacob. Hey, Gabriel, hey, we can buy new choir robes, man. (laughs) Jacob's starting, he's going to tithe now. That's awesome. You know, by the way, tithing is kind of a touchy subject here, but I'm going to touch it since we're here in Scripture anyways. You know, Jacob's mentioning of tithing here, along with Abraham's tithing and back in the story of Melchizedek earlier in Genesis, it was before the law was given, okay? The Jews were commanded to tithe. There There was a law regarding tithing, but tithing really supersedes the law. It supersedes the covenant. Tithing is not just an Old Testament covenant with Israel. Listen, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is talking to the scribes of the Pharisees. They were the professional law keepers. And they would actually tie their bent, their gardens, their herb gardens. They would take a little, you know, one, one uh, fennel seed for the Lord, nine for me. You know, they, that's what they would do, right? And Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, the Lord's saying, hey, you're focusing on just tithing, but you've neglected being merciful, being faithful, executing justice. Uh, But you're tithing. You're doing good at tithing. He says you you should have been merciful. You should have been faithful. You should have been just, but you should also have been tithing. You should also be tithing. Listen, I'm not trying to turn this message into a message on tithing. It would be easy to do that, but I'm, I'm not. But listen to the absurdity of what, Ab- what Jacob is saying here. You've promised to bless me, Lord, and if you bless me, I'm going to give you a tenth of whatever you bless me with. Listen, <laughs> it's all the Lord's. Everything that we have is the Lord's. In fact, Haggai 2 verse 8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. So this, I got a gold ring. Man, it's the Lord's. It's not mine. He's just letting me wear it right now. It's all his. 
James says this in one verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The material gift of earning an income, it comes from the Father of lights. Every good thing comes down from the Father of lights. Your wealth is a gift from the Lord. And you might go, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold the bus. I worked for that. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'm the one that's getting up at five in the morning and taking the bus down to here. And I'm the one that's working. I'm the one that's working it. I earned it. That's true. That's true. But who gave you the job? <laughs> God gave you the job. Who gave you the skills? God gave you the skills. Who gave you the mind to learn your skill? God did. Who gives you the health to keep going back to work every morning? God does. It's a, it, it, every blessing comes down from the Lord. God's talking to the children of Israel, but I think the principle applies. In Malachi 3, verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Again, that, you know, that's speaking to the Jewish people. But I think the principle is there. And I think we see the principle of giving, at least giving to, to ministry in the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 11, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? And then later on in 1 Timothy, speaking to pastors, or to Timothy about elders, he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Later on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he's talking, you know, the Jewish the Jewish church, they were going through persecution and, and there was a famine and they, they were suffering. And so Paul was going around all these other churches and he was collecting offerings to, to help out with the saints there in, uh, in Jerusalem. And in chapter 16, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as, uh, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, am I saying that it's a requirement that people tithe? No. In fact, Paul doesn't even say that. Paul says just, you determine in your own heart. The Lord wants a cheerful giver, okay? He doesn't, if, if giving to the Lord is, is a difficult thing for you to do, don't do it. He doesn't want your money. He really doesn't. But he wants your heart. Listen, there's a principle in Romans 11, verse 16. Paul's, Paul says this, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And I, I, the, the principle of setting aside the first fruits, saying, Lord, uh, it's all yours anyways, but Lord, I just want to give back to you. I, I, I thank you so much. God's saying, well, uh, okay, it's got to be 10. No, no, it's, it's whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Now, personally, I tithe, okay? I, I do a tenth. That's just... It's just personally what I do. Um, but 
the principle is setting aside for the work of the Lord. It's a principle there in the New Testament. And Paul wasn't trying to get rich off this. Listen, in Philippians 4, verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. See, there's something with giving that frees up your heart. Uh, when you hang on to stuff, <laughs> it's just giving. It's, it's a way to just say, Lord, not only are you the Lord of my life, but you're the Lord of my whole life. You're the Lord of my wallet. Lord, you're, you're the Lord of everything. And it just frees you. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So there's some principles taking place. But let's go back to Jacob. Jacob here, I believe, he's trying to work a deal with the Lord for his blessing. And guess what? He didn't need to. God just says, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. It's not according to what you do, Jacob. It's according to my promise to Abraham and Isaac, and it's according to my grace. I just want to bless you because I love you, Jacob. Now, God has about 14 more years of working in Jacob's heart to transform him from Jacob the supplanter. He's going to give him a new name. His new name is going to be Israel, which means led by God. But it's, it's a long progress, 14, 14 years. In fact, Jacob, the con artist, he's going to meet his uncle Laban, who wrote the book on conning, and he's going to be conned. You know, he, God's, again, God's going to take Jacob through kind of some of the same stuff that he did himself because God wants to transform him. He's, he's doing a work in, in his life. And, you know, I don't know about you, where you're at with your walk in the Lord, but, you know, uh, hopefully God doesn't have 14 more years of working in your heart. But, you know, he's got a plan for each one of us, and he wants to work in our lives. He wants to transform us. To, from being, you know, someone who's trying to trying to strive to get God's blessing to someone who just receives God's blessings by His grace. That's what He wants to do in all of our lives. And you know, again, I, I want to quote this in closing. This last uh, Philippians one six, which I read earlier, but I, I think it's such a good thing. Being confident of this very thing that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if we had time, I'd go through the rest of the story so we could get to the end of the story of Jacob's life, but you'll have to come back for that um, as we go through the next four chapters. Um, but Luke, you want to come on up? And John, uh, come up? Well, actually, it's Luke at this point. <laughs> Sorry. Luke's going to lead us in some worship. And, uh, and then I'm going to have John and... and uh, see, Mary's in the back. I'll have Teresa come up uh, when we're done with worship. And... Um, we want to just give you an opportunity to respond to the message. If you need prayer for anything, whatever's going on, if you need prayer, there's going to be people up here, and once the message, once the worship's done and we've, we've closed, you can go back in the back. We've got coffee and stuff. Hang out in fellowship. One thing we love to do here at Calvary Chapel is a fellowship, but we also want to minister. And so if there's an area that you just want prayer, um, come on forward. We'd love to pray with you. And, uh, and we don't want anyone to leave here having not been ministered to. And so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then Luke will close us in worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this story of, of, of Jacob and, uh, Lord, for the transformations we saw in Isaac, Lord. And we won't see that necessarily in Esau or Rebekah, but, Lord, we will see it in Jacob eventually. 
And Lord, I don't know the story of each and every person here this morning. Lord, I don't know where they are at in their walk with you. But Lord, I know that all of us are, there's areas where, Lord, we we struggle. Lord, maybe there's an area in our life that we have not fully submitted to you, Lord. Lord, this morning your spirit is speaking to us saying you can just let go. You don't have to strive anymore. Just submit to me. Just, just free yourself up and allow me to do that work in your life. And Lord, I pray for each and every person that might be dealing with this in their own hearts, Lord God. Lord, may you bless your people this morning. And I thank you for this message this morning. I thank you for each and every person here this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for each and every person here this morning. 
Lord, I know that you brought each one of us together. Lord, I pray that your spirit has spoken to us and that, Lord, we might be uh, responsive to your to you, Lord, as, as you've uh, spoken to each one of us. And I thank you for each and every person, Lord. I pray your blessing upon them this coming week. Lord, may your love surround them. Lord, I pray that they might realize, Lord, maybe maybe even to even this this week they'll realize, Lord, you're all around me. You're you're working and I didn't even realize it. Lord, may they see your hand in their lives, Lord. May you give them a glimpse of your glory and and how you're working in their hearts, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that they might be encouraged in their walk of in this life, Lord, as, as we seek to just glorify you in our lives and live for you. And so I thank you for each person here this morning, Lord. I pray your blessing upon them. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.